this questions. Mm -hmm. So your your first question then is about uh, the skills that we get in meditation can be used with music is the same as the musician skills can be used in the Dhamma. Is I would say both are at play. <laughs> That's cool. um, yeah, specific. Yeah, in a lot of ways for um, and as a music teacher, definitely as a music teacher, like a resounding um, that that is very clear uh, watching people get started with music and just monitoring their relationship with their instrument and whether they want to practice or if they don't want to practice. But um, I had an amazing music teacher when I grew up who was very laid back in almost every way in terms of, you know, the center of playing music was to enjoy it. And it was all about, he never, he never really talked about curiosity. He just actually did it. And so it, you just wouldn't kind of get unnecessarily competitive about stuff. You would you'd play around with stuff because it was interesting, but um, which is how I, when I started getting interested in Dhamma stuff and for me, it was started with Zen, but it was like that. It was just very, just like the full blown curiosity and, Lots of sitting, but it wasn't forced at that point. It was more uh, being drawn to it. Um, so, and I've, you know, I've seen that over the years go up and down as the, I'm sure we'll get into the Western Buddhism mindset of the, you know, the striving gets in there. And the, at some point, I think the mind starts making its false assumptions, like more sitting equals better, more effort equals better. But if it's not correct practice, it kind of is, you know, it's just like playing the same thing over and over again. It doesn't give you necessarily more benefit on an instrument to just keep hammering the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But probably I would say, yeah, music in the Dhamma, maybe, it's probably just because music is such a, a, a huge undertaking in terms of how far you can go with it and what you can do. It, it probably just has parallels uh, with the Dhamma just because of the human mind. But um, but listening to Don Morado's talks recently has really kind of opened up, you know, some stuff that I think was missing. So I'm very yeah. excited. <laughs> I've, had, I've yeah. had the same experience with Don Yeah, Yeah, I've, I've been um, taking driving lessons recently. And it's been really interesting to notice how the dam is, uh, how I use it when I'm when I'm driving. Uh, and, and I and I keep thinking of like this gear stick analogy. You're changing gears, and when you when you, when you change into the next higher gear, if you're a bit if you're not going quite fast enough, it's kind of clunky until you speed up. And just the yeah, it's a, it's manual. I'm driving manual, not automatic. But the 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 dynamics involved in driving a manual manual car, it, for some reason, it just feels really really like similar to the demo. Yeah, uh, which seems to make sense. I think, I was, I think yeah, we, so we start seeing I think everything we do. Music is kind of similar. Like, like that? Yeah, like you put, you go into a, a certain headspace and the music takes on a new um, like emotionality, I guess. You know, um, the analogy that you're drawing about changing the gears and doing it at the right time, if you do it too early, um, then the lug that will look the new gear, the higher gear will lug the engine. Um, and um, uh, waiting, waiting too long uh, actually makes the car jerky 
because new students will let off of the pedal and then put the pedal back on with the gear when they should have already changed gears. And so I understand that. And I can also see the same thing is true um, <clears throat> with the practice of meditation, except that the car, um, let us say, seems more obvious than the meditation in the sense that if you've changed gears too early, you get immediate feedback from the car and you know that the gear is too early. If you change gears in the mind too early, you'll wind up lugging your own engine, but you don't know that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's more difficult to understand what's going on uh, with that. Uh, and that also, just like I had mentioned earlier, that within piano music, that I was working on uh, almost in the sense of competition, that I was going around and being around the best piano students in town, whatever town I was with uh, in, and competing with them and going after the most difficult piece. I didn't even recognize that these were the most difficult piano pieces in the world. This was just what everybody else was trying to learn how to play. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that, in fact, there was a huge amount of stuff that I didn't even know about because it wasn't available. Uh, it wasn't common. An example of that would be both Grieg and Rachmaninoff. I didn't ever hear about them when I was playing piano. Yeah. And yet the uh, the uh, Rachmaninoff second piano concerto now is almost one of my favorite pieces of music, and I never learned to play it. <laughs> it's not too late, Don Rado. <laughs> oh yes it is oh yes it is <laughs> i think this uh this this topic that you brought up a few times this idea of mastery mastering skills is something that i think maybe not all musicians bring to their practice but um the distinction between kind of mastering something and totally mastering it before you move on um i think is important because you don't get that that high of satisfaction and confidence and and just command over what you're doing, um, and it makes the the music practice or I would say the dhamma practice have this like this feeling of um, overwhelm that people report like they can't handle the next thing um, mm -hmm. when when you don't bite things off in small enough chunks and chew on things that you're honestly at the ability to grapple with, um, which is something I've had music teachers you know, say more and more to me, but I've learned that more from being a teacher, probably than anything uh, from being a music teacher. But that seems very important. And that's something I, you know, I've heard you talk about a lot, Don Rado, on your talks and um, mm -hmm. like something for with my own practice that's changed over the past couple of weeks of following your material again is not thinking of the meditation session, like even though I'm doing short ones right now, again, I'm not even thinking of them as being like, timed like i'm really just not worried about anything but this like not even the whole breath just like the in breath that's the meditation right now and then the out breath like i don't even need to remotely worry about what's coming next <laughs> like there's absolutely no purpose to that um mm -hmm. and i would have nodded along and agreed with that a year ago but it's it seems more like it's at the front and center of the practice now that just you know being with just what's happening for this next split second <laughs> uh, and it kind of 
it hit me hard a couple of days ago. I have a cat who jumps on the counter a lot, and we don't want him on the counter because he knocks cups over and stuff. But he jumped on the counter the other day, and um, I, I like knocked him off kind of in a playful way. But I noticed that in that moment when I kicked him off the counter, I wasn't thinking like, oh, crap, he's going to jump on the counter like 40 more times today, and I have to deal with that. It was just like, I'm just booting him off right now. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's just off. And I can have fun while I give him, you know, the boot off the counter. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's the same thing, you know? So it's funny. Yes, yeah. dealing with things <laughs> right here, right now is much easier than saying, oh, no, I'm going to have to do this another 40 or 50 times with this cat. But in fact, what we're doing in a way is that we're ignorantly robbing the cat of the ability to learn. Now, Cats are notorious for not learning for the way that humans think. Sure. Cats are actually quite good at learning in cat things. Oh, yeah. I I just don't think he just doesn't care. He's having a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, the, um, the, the, the way of the practice is just like on the piano the fingering that when you're going through the fingering slowly like just to play i mean the simplest thing that you could do is to play a c scale on the piano but if you don't do that thumb coming under for the e to get the next five notes if you don't do the fingering right you can't play the C scale, the simplest thing there is, it's got to be done with the correct fingering. Okay, so this is the way that we understand then about uh, the Dhamma is, is that there is a kind of correct fingering that we have to do. And that that needs to be worked out kind of in advance. And that's what the Buddha did. The fingering is actually then the Eightfold Noble Path itself. How do we handle each one of those items together so that we can bring about sati and right uh, effort and right uh, investigation to build on that right attitude? And so those things have to be practiced over and over and over again, just like that C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. It's very easy to do, but you've got to make the change over at just the right time. And that's what is the issue in uh, meditation is the issue of right effort, to take the right effort to change gears from whatever the mind was doing a moment ago into uh, a wholesome thought. Have to make that change. Robert, and I know practice you practice it over and over again. So I have I have a question, but I, I wanted to I know Robert Go has ahead. a barrel of questions too. So <laughs> thank you. Yes, John. Robert, feel free to jump in with your list. Great. Um so my first question pertains to exhaustion um, and sort of burnout after I've been gladdening the mind, uh, practicing taking deep breaths, gladdening the mind, uh, eventually I tend to run into this like feeling of um, it's not not being able to do it anymore, but it's like 
you use the word exhausted yeah like like i feel like there's there's this this tight this tiredness and it becomes it becomes kind of difficult to do it um a little bit sticky to do it it's not uh, okay so you do it until you get tired and then you do it and you hate yourself for having to do it when you're tired or another way of looking at it is is that you find yourself being exhausted but you didn't look at what you were doing to get uh, in the process of being um, exhausting. So if you can come from the point, in fact, that's just what uh, Bo and I have been talking about, that to get the fingering right means that you recognize that, um, that what you're doing is exhausting, and if you keep doing it, you will become exhausted. But you're figuring it out after you get exhausted. And then instead of making the change that you need to make, then you continue exhausted and tired. Expecting something new to happen. OK. And so uh, we need to work at it at two levels. One is the level of what to do when you get exhausted. And then backing up before that into how do you get yourself into a state of exhausting? Does this make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're going to do when you find yourself exhausted is to stop. Does that make sense? Yeah. So stop right okay. away. Practicing. Right. To just stop. All right, give yourself permission to just stop that. In fact, uh, the joke is, is that if you were practicing stop, that would be a correct practice. And by the time that you stop, then later you're not going to do things exhausting to the point that you get exhausted. So the question is, when are you going to stop? Are you going to stop after you get exhausted? Are you going to stop when you're exhausting yourself? Are you going to stop before that? Mm. All right, which would be coming back now to the Petit Sabupada. Where on that level are we going to stop? Are we going to stop after we're in Tanha and Upadana into mm. woeful states? Or are we going to stop at the point of feelings? Or are we going to stop at the point of consciousness? So that the scene is merely the scene and the herd is merely the herd without reprocessing it to the point of exhaustion. Now, I know that I'm doing some highly technical stuff in there, uh, but that's the kind of way to look at it from the beginning is, is that um, the beginning is that you are going to get exhausted because you're catching things late. But if you begin to look at how you getting yourself, in other words, the exhausting process, what are you doing? Because in fact, if if what we're actually doing is stopping what we used to do, then the likelihood of you getting exhausted by stopping is not very high. Mm. All right. So the whole point then is, is that a lot of people within Western meditation still have the idea that you're trying to accomplish something, that you're doing something in order to get something. And what you're getting 
is exhausted instead. So we need to find out what it is that you're doing so that you can stop doing that. Mm-hmm. That there's a in the sutta number 86 in the and Angulimala sutta, there is such a marvelous statement that most people just miss because they take it in context. But in fact, it does not need to have a context. This is the entire teaching of the Buddha when Angulimala says, Stop, monk. And the Buddha answers, I have stopped. You stop too. Okay, so that's so Adgulimala was being was exhausting himself trying to catch the Buddha. Hmm. And here you are too. You're exhausting yourself trying to catch the Buddha. And the way to catch the Buddha is by doing what the Buddha did, which is just stop. There is no place to go and nothing to do, no attainments to be made, that you're already who you are, Robert. You're good enough. You're already enlightened, so the Zen master says. You're already enlightened. Why do you keep exhausting yourself trying to get something that you've already got? Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting mindset to take. And I've I've done that a few times in my practice where I've actually as a as a way of producing wholesome thoughts i've thought i'm already happy i already already there yeah yeah this present moment is already um wholesome i'm already experiencing this wholesome and uh it it is interesting because sort of like it does open up sort of a door to actually experiencing it as that which is really cool um and i'm not so skillful yet as to where i can just affirm like this is yes you are you're already just you've got all the skills you need (laughs) you've already got all the skills you need to remember that you don't need to exhaust yourself that this could be a pleasant experience that in fact the if you look carefully the problem is or maybe the exhaustion is coming from the fact that you're dissatisfied and you want something else that whatever you got is not good enough and you want something better. And so you're striving to get something that if you were already relaxed, if you already were stopped, then there would be nothing to do that would be exhausting. You just sit and relax. I know that this is a catch-22. This is the biggest catch-22 that I know of. The Buddha, I mean, Buddhism and the teaching of the Buddha is the biggest catch-22 that exists. You know, our whole society and everybody thinks about it in the sense that if you like something, then you want it. And if you, because if you Uh. get it, you'll be better off. But the point is, is that if you like something, you want it. Now you've gotten yourself into a state of dukkha. You're dissatisfied. Okay. And so if you're dissatisfied with what you've got, now you've got to work really hard and get exhausted to try to get it. To where, in fact, if you didn't want it in the first place, then it would, it would be easy. So let us look at then what is it that you want? 
because if you recognize that you're wanting something and that's why you're striving and getting yourself exhausted, if you don't want anything, then it's even okay to be just exhausted. Okay, I'm exhausted. So what? I don't want to get out of it. I, in fact, I like being exhausted sometimes. Downright of that aspect of the path is, is, is another thing that seems to not be spoken about in the Western Buddhist tradition much in terms of, you know, general cause and effect. Um, if you're experiencing some kind of suffering or unsatisfactoriness, there has to be something causing that to happen. Mm -hmm. And we need to undercut that. But what I feel like happens in the Western tradition, or at least in my experience of it, is that that's given as kind of a spiel at the start of practice, but then never talked about as something that you should investigate in the moment. Like right now there's something that's actually like, I want something and I could look into that and, and maybe affirm that I'm already satisfied, like actually working on it on a micro level as a skill rather than, I think the Western model thinks like once you build up enough meditation time, you'll kind of just explode into never having problems again. Like that's, that's the way it's conceptualized. Uh. <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly the way that it is. In fact, the story that I tell is there he's sitting on the floor in the meditation hall and he's racked up so far 99,999 hours of meditation <laughs> and the clock is ticking and he's waiting now on the big comma machine to waltz in there, do some Shaktipat on him and find that he could be happy because he's put in all the effort that he needed. We do that when we're children. I learned about this from in psychology, mm. and it has done me very, very well ever since. And that is the issue that if we have the attitude that I can't do it, but I'm supposed to do it, I've been ordered to do it, but I can't do it, then my only option is, is to appear and look like that I'm working very hard to try to do it. That I'm not just ignoring it, that I'm working really hard to do it and then fail. Because if I work very hard at it and fail, then I'll get this good old stuff that Christianity is so good at selling that comes in two forms. It comes in the form of grace and the form of forgiveness. All right, or mercy. Okay, I've got, yep. please give me mercy. Please give me my bliss. I put in all the hours of meditation that I was supposed to. Look how hard I tried. Look how exhausted I've been. Please give me my prize, even though I have always had the attitude that I didn't deserve it. Which is crazy, though, if you think, because uh, if you have this kind of scientific cause and effect view online, it'd be like, you know, if meditation is something akin to, let's just say an analogy with a chemical reaction, the, the chemical reaction needs the right input to happen. It doesn't matter how mm -hmm. hard you work. It doesn't matter if you if you think you deserve it or if, if it doesn't matter if you tried or, you know, all that is irrelevant. It, the right things have to be in the right order at the right time for the thing to happen. Precisely. <laughs> uh, in fact, Mary Poppins knew all about it. <laughs> A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I mean, that's all we need for meditation. Just, just, just add Mary Poppins. A spoonful of sugar, which is gladdening the mind, will help the medicine go down.
I'm going to start telling people that I do the Mary Poppins meditation now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should put Mary Poppins up there with my list of meditations like James Brown. I really like the James Brown. The James Brown, Brown one's good. I feel good. Yeah, I feel good. Da, 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 Jane, da, da. I mean, that's a pretty wholesome thought to have. Like, even just mentioning that, my mind just lit up, you know, just, uh -huh. just from that. Like, you can, you can mm -hmm. see it instantly. <laughs> or uh, the Bob Marley. Or is it Bob Marley or is it uh, uh, Bobby McFerrin? There's an argument as to who did what first, but... Uh, Da, 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 da. Let's see if I can I do both of them. No, I can't do it now. I used to be able to. No, I can't whistle and hum at the same time, but I I, I could long don't time worry. ago, years don't ago. Worry, right. Don't don't worry, be happy. Exactly. That's the Bob Marley meditation. I think it was I think it was McFerrin, yeah. Yeah. Bobby McFerrin, I think, was yeah. before Bob Marley yeah. on that. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. I've been that way. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, these things that we can label like that, Robert, will will help you to recognize that there is no reason to exhaust yourself. That when you, what are you doing that are, is getting you exhausting? What is the exhausting thing that's happening that winds up being exhausted? And you can stop that too. Begin to figure out what it is that you're doing, and and more than likely what it is is that you're wanting or expecting something to happen. You're you're trying to change something or achieve something, and that uh, like it says, the catch twenty two or everything is is backwards. It's it's almost ironic that the only way um, that you reach the goal is to stop running towards the goal because you're already at the goal. And if you run towards what you think is the goal, guess what? Now you're running away from the goal. Mm -hmm. This this is the quality that I use uh, with uh, uh, the story of Pilgrim's Progress. There's an old book, I think it was, uh, uh, oh, I forgot who wrote it, but it's really old, hundreds of years old. Uh, the, the idea of the Pilgrim's Progress. You know, that's what a pilgrim is. What is a pilgrim? He's on his on a journey and the pilgrims get exhausted on their journey, just like you are. You're kind of a pilgrim and you're out on a, uh, a pilgrimage and you're getting exhausted. So the question is, what happens to the pilgrim when he gets to the holy site, his pilgrimage place? What happens when he gets there? If he's uh, a pilgrim, he'll pick up his bags and he'll go to the next holy site and spends almost all of his time between holy sites. Then, in fact, we that was happening a lot in the Middle Ages uh, with. Um, um, it, it was the. Um, uh, the Crusades and uh, the Knights Templars and all of that created a corridor so that Europeans can go to the Holy Lands. But it was a pilgrimage all over. Once they got to the Holy Lands, now they've got to still pilgrim from this building to that building to this building over here, and it's just a march and a parade around, okay? So back to the point about the pilgrim. The pilgrim 
when he gets to the holy site, he has to stop being a pilgrim in order to stay in the holy place. Guess what, Robert? You're already in that holy place. This here now, this place, this moment is as good and as holy and as wholesome as any other moment in time that's ever been and any other place that's ever been. This place right here, right now, the room you're in is the most holy site that you could be in. So finally just be at home, relax. You've already arrived at the destination of your dreams. You're already there. Time to stop. That's, stop that's the pilgrim. A very wholesome thought. Mm -hmm. You're already Thank in you. the holy place. You're already like there. You're already enlightened. This is it. It's just as good as it can possibly be. All we have to do is just recognize that and enjoy it. You are in a holy shrine. This is it. Then, in fact, uh, that fits in with many other religions, too. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. Here it is. This is it. No need to be a pilgrim to go someplace to find the holy site. You're already there. So um, let's say, Tamarso, that um, I've, I've done this investigation where I'm looking for what it is that I'm desiring that's keeping me out of uh, feeling like the, the present moment is a wholesome place to be. Um, and I found that what I'm desiring is to go smoke. I know that, you know, in the future, I'll be a lot happier if I quit that bad habit. Um, how, 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 because I, how do I, how do I, how do I get, get, get around that desire? Because it's, 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 um, it's quite well, physical. Sort of how, another question though, is how do you get around your hatred for that desire? I, Which is I worse, the desire for the smoke or you're hating your desire for the smoking? Um, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose. All right. the well, there's for... one more style. Then there's one more question that we can pile on with that. And that is uh, your hatred for yourself because you have desire for smoking. You should not desire smoke. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, that's where you're coming from, is, is that it's bad to smoke. And you should quit. Right? You hear all of that as rules? That's to follow the rules. And mm -hmm. yet inside you have the deep desire, and you're calling it desire, what it actually is, is it's a physical addiction. It's a manifestation of a physical addiction. What you can do instead now is when you recognize that you do find yourself in the need for the smoke. 
is, is that you can go through all of the bodily movements that you would have with that. I suppose that you're talking about tobacco, but there's all kinds of things that you could be smoking. But whatever that it is that you're smoking, you can um, do that. An example of that is with your hands, kind of uh, imaginarily, but you unwrap the package of cigarettes, you open it up to get one out, you pop it like this to get one uh, exposed so that you can get your fingers on it, you pull it out, you put it up, you like it, you light it, and you take a really, really deep breath, okay? go through all of the motions and guess what after that really deep breath with all of those other physical motions you will get physical motions rather you will get the benefit of that cigarette without the cigarette itself you could also do it without actually lighting the cigarette but you do everything else except the lighting of it you could even go so far as to take the torch or the match and put it close to the end but not enough to actually set the thing on fire. And now you can sit there and smoke that cigarette without it having gone on fire and go through the motions of your body, okay? And play with this as if it were a game to play. That right now you've gotten yourself into a bound by a set of rules that you're not supposed to smoke. And so you hate yourself because you desire the smoking. Let yourself go ahead and desire the yeah. smoke and play with it. Have fun with it. Be very, very mindful. So let us say it on, on one occasion, now you're actually going to light up the cigarette and take that deep, 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 big drag and look at the effects that the tobacco is having on the body. Notice it closely. You see, you're spending so much time in conflict about you need to smoke and you don't want to smoke that you're not actually experiencing what you're actually doing. Because you've got a set of rules like you're supposed to quit smoking. I would rather you be a happy smoker than a grumpy non-smoker. <laughs> yeah, I don't care whether you smoke or not. Pardon? A big part of me would agree with that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, when you get dark. grumpy because you want to quit smoking, recognize that. I would rather you be a happy smoker than a grumpy non-smoker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you can take on that same attitude for yourself that you would rather be a happy smoker, then on occasion you can happily light up that cigarette and pay very close attention to what you're doing and very close attention to how you feel about it and very close attention to actually enjoying that cigarette and getting the value out of it instead of having all these thoughts of hating yourself because you got a habit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. so break down the habit in all of these slight little details. Guess what? We're going to learn just like we do in music. Learn the fingering, take it down to the very basics. Look at what you're doing. 
just like I was doing. I was taking all of the various parts. You obviously, as I've done cigarettes before, because I know exactly how to unwrap the lid, how to take the plastic off, how to open the little thing, how to knock the cigarettes out. You then start doing that in a pretend sort of way, or if you've got a cigarette, actually watch what you're doing. Stay in the present moment with it. And there may come a point in time when you are taking a drag off a cigarette and say, wait a minute, I don't even like the taste of this cigarette. I don't even like what I'm doing. And now you can snub that cigarette out with great joy. Boy, I'm glad I don't have to do that right now. Right, right. And so instead of it coming from the superego saying I shouldn't do this, it's now come like from within. It's like an authentic uh-huh. desire. Let the child in you enjoy the tobacco and let the uh, let the adult watch closely what's doing and muzzle this superego that tells you that it's wrong to smoke and you're bad boy for doing it. You need to muzzle that uh, part of the mind. In other words, stop being critical with yourself and start nurturing yourself. See how much enjoyment you can get out of a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is that you're smoking. If you really I, got the benefit out of the smoking of the cigarette, then you wouldn't need to smoke. I mean, just one puff. And then, wait a minute, I can put that out. I might even be able to use that cigarette later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I okay. certainly appreciate all those suggestions. I'm, I'm going to give those a go. I'm, to be honest, I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, I feel like doing the whole the whole activity um, and stuff would um, might uh, might only encourage me at first, but I'm um, I'm gonna give it a go and I'll I'll see I'll see how that works out. Um, it's, well, the it's most very... important thing is don't fuss at yourself or hate yourself for smoking. In fact congratulate yourself for wanting to quit congratulate yourself for wanting to stop that makes sense that makes a lot of sense and tell yourself that you're a winner that you can quit and that you're not going to quit immediately right now but that you're going to taper off slow down and that you can congratulate yourself for waiting one more minute. So let us say that you got the point that, oh, I got to have a cigarette right now. And the answer to that is, I bet I can wait a minute. I bet I can take a few deep breaths, think about something else and postpone that cigarette and I won't have it right now. And the minute goes by and now you've forgotten about the cigarette and the thought about the cigarette doesn't come back for 10 minutes. And so you just saved yourself a whole cigarette right then and there. And so you say, yay, I didn't smoke that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that a lot. That's that's really that reframe is really, really clever. Yeah, they talk about it like that is reframing it. But it's the change of the attitude. So you're a victim of those uh, 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 smokes. Become the champion. Become yeah, the was, boss. That was what I started thinking of 
like, you know, you started talking about the the desire to smoke will probably be there for a while if it's a physical and maybe mental addiction. So rather than hating the desire, you know, looking at it like a like a fun challenge, thinking, well, let's see. Let's see what I can do with this desire here. Let's see if I can kind of meet it, you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. grapple with it a little bit in a fun way, though, not in a not in a um, an actual intense warlike fashion. Mm-hmm. The reality yeah. is, is that we have been victimized by a very, very vicious industry. The tobacco industry has done a lot of harm and that uh, the, the group of people who uh, actually pioneered the stuff now does that in other industries. An example of that would be the uh, oil industry and the gun industry. They're using the same tactics that were developed with the tobacco industry to keep people addicted to smoking when the Surgeon General and all the doctors knew that it was a poison. And Mm -hmm. it took many years for the people of the United States to change because the tobacco industry was so good at it. But finally, they... Uh, they couldn't advertise anymore and all kinds of other restrictions. And so guess what the tobacco industry in the United States did for that? They took their poison and their lies to other countries and addicted the whole world to Mm. tobacco. It's funny how people change with cigarettes too. Like I'm, I'm 32 now and I smoked in my early 20s, the very early 20s. And now you can pay me to smoke cigarettes that have to be a pretty good sum to get me to take a puff but you know you couldn't pay me but i was paying to do it before <laughs> oh i'll take the right? money like, but the first puff i will be so sick i'll vomit all over the guy who's supposed to pay me for the smoking <laughs> yeah exactly so it is it is interesting that uh it definitely it's definitely possible for people to change not just tolerate the desire or for the desire to go away but you would actually not even want to do it Yes, in fact, look at how many millions of people did quit smoking. The tobacco industry has almost no power today than the way that it did, say, in 1970. It has no power. The teeth have been taken out of it. And the reason that that's true is not because they were able to addict people. It was because of some reason or another, which I'll go into, so many people quit. So many millions of people quit smoking. Unfortunately, most of them quit smoking, uh, let us say, due to fear. In other words, it was their fear, their loathing, their hatred, and all of that. And that's why they quit, when in fact they could have quit with these other techniques that we have through the Dhamma and through psychology, especially NLP. In fact, it's an NLP uh, practice is to pretend to smoke the cigarette without actually having the cigarettes. Go through all of the motions to watch what you're doing. So some of the techniques you recommend too, like when you say playing with it and then you'll often say like change the color, change the size, move it. Like those are NLP things to do and I, I picked up on that i don't think you ever explicitly said that in one of the videos i watched but those are the uh like taking the desire and see if you can 
apparently, uh, you know, if you have the desire and it feels large, if you play with it in terms of visualizing it being smaller and moving it to a different location in the room, those things can be enough to, they kind of unhook your brain from taking it so seriously. And that's, that seems to be, it like diffuses the thought from grap like grappling in with your mind. Um, but and actually, the most important thing, though, is, is that by doing any of that, we've changed our attitude from being the victim into now we're the winner, we're the manipulator. We can actually take that desire and shove it around, turn it blue, uh, make it around. So I noticed that with when I was starting, when I was doing, starting your practices uh, or what you recommend to beginners, at least a couple weeks ago, you know, I would get tension in the mouth area. That's where my tension would come up. But I noticed, you know, the past few years of meditating, of watching it, it's like a serious watching. Like I got to be serious watching. Serious watching. Uh -huh. Yeah. But then, then I started doing, you know, just playing with it, and I started moving my lips and almost massaging it, like not with my hands, but just with my lips, and trying to, like, trying to just pull it this way and pull it this way, and, you know, it, it's like gone, you know. And when it comes back, I don't like. Uh, yeah, I don't really like it, but I'm. There's not like this. New it's toy not to the play same, with. When it comes yeah, it's back just like okay, well, but yeah, that's been really interesting to watch because in the past, when that frustration had shown up, showed up, the attention that I was or the way I was practicing, it would almost just make you more sensitive to it, and the and the the feeling would just grow, if anything, which is uh -huh. insane. Um, exactly, Robert. But that so lack of that lack of playfulness, saying there. that lack of playfulness in the meditation seems like. Uh, I don't know how to put it, like a common disease. <laughs> uh, yes, that, that's, yeah. that's it. That's the spiritual disease that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about. That's it. The prison of life is uh, basically we wear our own handcuffs. We handcuff ourselves and the handcuffs are the rules. We, we imprison ourselves uh, like... In this case, Robert, you're imprisoning yourself. You're exhausting yourself. And all you have to do is just stop. And the way to do that stopping is by playing with it. Take control of your own life, okay? So if you really need a cigarette, instead of giving into the cigarette and becoming a victim of the cigarette, I have this little game to play of pretend to smoke the cigarette. Pretend in great detail to smoke the cigarette. The, Get the all funny, the benefits. The funny thing is that that can even be, that turns into a new rule for some people. The playing turns into this new thing. Like it cycles back in the other way. And they're like, now nah, I got to mm -hmm. fucking play with this all the time. And that's the new, that's the new practice. <laughs> <in> the <laughs> so it's just funny to see that, like how ridiculous it is. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I relate to that so much, man. I'll, anything I can take it and turn it into some way to self-flagellate, I'll do it. Anything. Yes, um, and Robert, yes, we, I have to say that I congratulate you. You're the best self-flagellator student I've got right now. You're top quality self-flagellator. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> And you see, we can play with it that way because the old way is, is that you're a victim to the self-flagellation and you don't like it 
You're trying to push it away. And the way that we're playing, doing this is, no, we got to make friends with this self-flagellation. We've got to recognize it as the way that it is. And if we hate it, we don't want to look at it. We want to avoid it. But if you stop hating it, now we can play with it. That's where the, the no self teachings um, in terms of doing uh, like a no self investigation or just uh, even a bit of an affirmation in a playful way. It's like, holy shit, there's this human body here. It's just a set of causes and conditions that's wired up to be like this right now. Let's watch this and see how this functions rather than taking it personally. Um, mm-hmm. Which is something that something that um, helps that I found helps if 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 you feel like there's a if I feel like there's like a personal sting in something that's going on this frustration in the mouth that comes up once in a while here looking at it like like that has has helped um, even just for a few seconds here and there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. To, to to play with the mouth, that's uh, a, a a good one. We do that also with other things, um, like anxiety. Can you play with the anxiety? Anxiety is almost always, when I talk about it, it's a sensation in the body that's in this area. It's a sensation. Uh, start to notice those sensations in the body because uh, the various uh, feelings that we have will have associated sensations. An example of that is, um, let us say, um, deep sadness or longing or a loss is really, really low in the belly. Terror is up higher. Anger is even higher. The throat gets really tight. Our face will get red. Our our upper arms will get strong. Our shoulders will go up. Our fists will tighten. Okay, so this is something to begin to notice what the body is doing also. And so if we can notice this stuff and starting to talk about anxiety in the middle of the area of the chest here, that gives us an opportunity to breathe as we're breathing in. Can we make the anxiety expand? And as we breathe out, can we make the anxiety, uh, in other words, pulsate with the breathing? One thing I've noticed with that, with those kinds of things, like and, and playing with the sensations, is that some um, visualization can help a bit in terms of playing with it, like picturing it actually getting bigger, picturing it getting smaller. Like I was, mm-hmm. I I did this practice um, the other day where I was just playing around with. You know, whenever a hindrance would come, I would just picture a horse like taking a big shit and just think like that's a bunch of horse shit. And I, and it was like the funniest thing in the world. Like I, uh-huh. that, that's why I burst out laughing when I was practicing the other day. And exactly. it was like, like that's fun. Mm-hmm. Like I want to uh-huh. do this t- six times a day. You know. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, and who knows? Maybe, maybe I won't want to do that forever every practice. But you know, sometimes the message I think I was getting f- before from the, the more Western practices is like, it has to be only like real direct noting and awareness of everything that's happening it has to be super objective. There can't be any like play or, or visualization, even if it's giving skillful benefit, which seems crazy when you think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And it's good to start thinking about this stuff as, as crazy. An example is it's crazy for the uh, for the um, 
pilgrim to leave the holy site. They just got to stop being a pilgrim on a pilgrimage and and actually arrive. Are we going to be a pilgrim always on a pilgrimage, always uh, distant from our goal? Are we going to recognize that we're already in the holy site? We're in the shrine. We're already there. Okay, so this is a way of taking control, playing with the anxiety, making it bigger and smaller. That's a way of taking control, pretending to smoke a cigarette with all the little details that you're actually doing that way. That's learning to play with it, taking control as opposed to feeling victimized. So here you are being victimized twice. First, you're being victimized by this tobacco itself and the desire for it. And then you're victimized and hate yourself for that desire. So the desire is one uh, dukkha, and then hating that desire is another. It's better for you to drop that second hatred and deal directly and start playing with the desire itself as a friend of yours. So it's really interesting. That's what like uh, like Albert Ellis, like the the RABT guy, or the, the one of the godfathers of the cognitive behavioral therapy. That was mm-hmm. one of the things that he coached people into drop your secondary disturbance first your frustration about frustration or anxiety about frustration like that has to be dropped first or it's you can't even work on the original thing mm-hmm. um which is which is cool because i hate you know i hear right. you saying the same thing that's exactly right robert think about that for a moment i was uh, i didn't realize that uh what's going on here yes let's look at that that you you've got the desire for the tobacco and you want to get rid of that, but you're adding a second layer of hatred for yourself in that. And that's not, and so that two together, now you got two problems to solve. The easy thing to do is to drop the self-hatred, to drop the desire to quit, and to stay with just the desire for the tobacco, the original issue is the one that we want to deal with, but we got to deal with this other thing first. So I'm, I'm not using the um, I'm not using the added on suffering to defend against the the first suffering. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm just treating the first suffering as my friend. I'm addressing it directly. Right. To recognize, oh wow, the tobacco companies really did me, and boy did I get suckered in by those that crowd. Right. But I'm right, gonna yeah. I'm gonna I'm oh. gonna play with them now because ha ha I now I'm gonna smoke a cigarette, but they're not getting any value out of it because it's a pretend cigarette instead. <laughs> you could you could roll your Dhamma your Dhamma duty, your imaginary uh, Dhamma duty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in this way, you see, we are beginning to play with it and you're beginning to feel like that you're a champion that you can smoke a pretend cigarette rather than smoking the real deal. And that you can get the benefit out of the pretend cigarette rather than having to have the real deal, which is poison. The real tobacco is poison. So the play is really interesting too, because the play has, you know, the play is wholesome. It has the sukkah uh, wired into it when, when it's working well. Uh, so you, you know you're kind of doing two things at once when you when you do that. 
That's what it feels mm-hmm. like to me. Right? Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, you feel like a bit of a nut, you know, when you're doing it all day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty fun sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a nut already, so it's all right yeah. for me. <laughs> Good. Allow yourself that. Okay, instead of having all of these rules, thou shalt not be a nut. Stop doing that, you terrible person. Oh, my God. Give yourself permission. <laughs> yeah, you, and give yourself, and sometimes it's okay to be a nut. Yeah, it's good. Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Accept yourself the way that you are. You're already okay. You don't need to be improved. You're already like, all right. It's like drop, drop the drop the the self-hatred for being a nut and just address the nuttiness directly makes by making friends with the nuttiness mm-hmm. and, and making a toy to play with yeah i can i can notice that in my experience now quite clearly i'm not sure how it will hold up because i'm not sure how much of it is it will as long as you keep remembering uh-huh you have to uh-huh. keep remembering trying. this is this is the sati this is why i mean this is so important that the Buddha just puts that on a sati on almost any list that he comes from. I even uh, recently now re- recognize I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but there are the five faculties and there sati is one of the five faculties as well as one of the four foundations of mindfulness, anapanasati. It's also uh, on the Sambhujana and it's also uh, on the Eightfold Noble Path. So the Buddha was really big on sati, mm-hmm. which is to remember. If you can remember, Robert, to have a pretend cigarette rather than smoking the actual cigarette, then you can, then, then you're the winner. Right. But if you, right. if yeah. you mindlessly forget about it and, pe- and take the actual cigarette and while you're smoking it, you're feeling bad, that's just what you've always been doing. You're a victim of that cigarette. You need it, but you hate it, and you hate yourself for needing it. But if you remember, oh, I'm not in. I, I can have that cigarette and not have it too. I can pretend to have it and get the benefit out of it. So play with that pre- pretending to have the cigarette. It seems like another big benefit, like the advice I've heard you give about getting students to practice many times during the day rather than doing a, a single longer sit. Um, you know, that, that makes sense in terms of learning psychology, about being able to, de- you, you would develop sati better if it was multiple times throughout the day rather than just one mm-hmm. block, just like you would learn to do pretty much anything better like that. Right. Everything is that way. Yeah. Everything is that way. Yeah, one thing I've noticed from because I've in the past I've done a lot of long sits. That's just how I was trained. You know, the Zen sits were day one meditation, hour and a half sitting, boom. And I noticed the ten minute sits. Like I really want to sit longer. Like when the bell goes off, I'm like, oh fuck. Like I want this to, to yeah, go. This is what? really this great, is great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and they just naturally, you know, sometimes they I just make them longer when I don't have anything to do right after it because it, it's it's nice. But the, it, it's cool to see how that creeps up on you to just sit and enjoy the aftermath of sitting and enjoying (laughs) well guys that was uh that was a lot of fun i really appreciate um meeting with both of you uh robert it was nice to see you 
again and uh Damarado, it was great that you had some time open today oh, I I'm, think... I'm really glad to meet you i'm i'm glad that we talked about music and whatnot that gives a a, a deeper level connection at that i'm sure there'll be many more to come <laughs> yes i'm really uh okay robert you said that you were uh do you have any more questions or is this one i mean this is an important point for you to give yourself permission to be mm-hmm. addicted to cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I would really much rather you be a happy smoker than an unhappy non-smoker. It's 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 almost uh, the 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 worst habit is the is the is the secondary self hatred than the mm-hmm. than the, the the original desire. That's because that's just pervasive across uh, anything I do that I don't want to do. Is there's that other? Oh bag. really? Kind All of. right. <laughs> I know Albert Ellis called Albert Ellis called uh, called that unconditional self acceptance. You know his his one of his main ideas. Um, not that you wouldn't have a goal to stop smoking or do anything healthy, but um, you know he he kind of just defended everything's going to be better with unconditional self acceptance, and he had that whole mentality of throwing the rules out. Like who cares if society says you shouldn't be smoking or if you should be smoking. You, know, you can accept yourself whether you're a smoker or not, and mm-hmm. you'll probably enjoy the smoking more if you do accept yourself, and you'll enjoy not smoking more if you accept yourself. So it's kind of a win. You know, no matter what you do, the self-acceptance is going to be a better game plan. I uh, agree completely, except for the for the kind of language that we're using, and that is sure. the word acceptance. Yeah, that we have acceptance and toleration and that those kind yeah. of words. Yeah. And I would go more for complete friendliness rather yeah. than just toleration and acceptance of yourself the way that you are. No, you're all, I mean, you're great. You're you're fine. Yeah, you're already a winner, Robert. You've got everything that you need. You've already got everything that you need. You've already arrived at the holy place. Just sit down and relax. Yeah, and when the desire that. for a cigarette comes, just that's okay. Let's play with it. You're still a wonderful guy. Already. That's one of the, one of the funny things about how we we think of desires too is like we think of this is re- related to what I was talking about with, with throwing my cat off the counter and and being in the moment with the breath is we think of the desire as like a never ending stream of like I have a lifetime desire of smoking in front of me that I have to conquer, which may or may not be true. There might just be like right now and then it drops off. That's what happened to me mm-hmm. with smoking. But we kind of make up this story of it being existing in time. And that creates this feeling of overwhelm. Ah. That we have to do all this extra shit. It's really it's out of the hand. mentality of always the mentality. Yeah. Of, oh, I need a cigarette. I want a cigarette right now. Therefore, I am doomed to be in the state of desire for a cigarette from now for the rest of my life or into eternity. Mm-hmm. Okay. This this actually fits in very well with Christianity's view of original sin. Yeah. Or that you're not good enough. You're already broken. You're already addicted and you're doomed to be addicted to those cigarettes for the rest of your life. That's our mentality. And the reality is as though, no, you're not even doomed. You've just got a need for a cigarette right this very moment. Let's play with this need right here, right now, without talking about 
uh, how bad it's going to be forever. Because people do that way with meditation too. I mean, uh, exactly. even uh, even with uh, the Sambo Jhana or the uh, issue of mindfulness, people say that, oh, that means that you're always mindful. Mm-hmm. That's not what this text say. It talks mm-hmm. about it unremitting mindfulness. In other words, the mindfulness will come back. It'll come back, but for a while it's going to be gone. That you don't need it all the time, but you do need it sometimes. And uh, we need to have sati when we need it most. That's why we want to develop it. So for you, you need the sati just at the time when you need the cigarette so that you can remember not to hassle yourself and hate yourself for wanting the cigarette. That is just cigarette need right here, right now. Let me play with this. I've got a new toy for the moment. Mm-hmm. And I can, mm-hmm. okay. That is not a permanent illness. It's just a feeling right here, right now. It's not even a need or a desire for a cigarette. It's an internal sensation in the body. Look at that itself. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I mean, and I you'd be, we, we start, you'd we be surprised that many times you can change that by just taking a deep breath. Let me give you one more thing before we finish, and that is in the early days of tobacco. When uh, not in the early days of tobacco, but in the early days when the Surgeon General was finding it bad, the scientists that were working for the tobacco company kept things alive and going because they could prove that people who smoked a few cigarettes a day, like under five cigarettes a day, actually had on average better health than non-smokers. This is statistics, okay? What could possibly be that? Because the tobacco industry was promoting smoking cigarettes, but the reality was is that when people are quitting, cutting down, taking fewer cigarettes, or just smoking occasionally, when they smoke a cigarette, they'll take a really deep breath with it. They'll take a puff, and then they'll go, like that. And they're doing Anapanasati. So go ahead and do Anapanasati, but have it with a pretend cigarette. That that is actually taking those deep breaths was keeping the people healthy uh, more than the tobacco was hurting them. It's only when you're taking 10 or 15 or maybe 20 cigarettes a day, a whole pack a day, or in some cases, two or three packs a day. And then they're just, they're not really breathing very well when they're smoking because they're smoking so much. But when you're smoking mm-hmm. only occasionally, then you're going to take a really deep drag and a really deep breath, which is exactly the same thing with exercise. They say that exercise is good and marvelous. Basically, the best part of exercise is the breathing people are doing when they're exercising. Mm-hmm. So for Anapanasati, we don't need the exercise. We need the breathing. With the tobacco, you don't need the tobacco itself, but you need to breathe as if you were smoking a cigarette. I like that. And, I really like that. Okay, um, so begin to play with your breath as if you were smoking. How do you smoke? And take those deep, deep drags, and you'll be surprised. I've seen this happen. Other people have said that, hey, if I pretend to smoke, 
and take that deep breath, then much of the tension and anxiety for the tobacco itself is alleviated right then and there by taking that deep breath, which often happens also with anxiety. That if you just breathe into that anxiety, the anxiety starts to break up and melt and go away. So this is actually not a big problem. It's not a big issue. The desire for tobacco is not a problem. What's the problem is, is that you hate yourself for desiring the cigarette. Yeah, the other the other part of it I was thinking too is how these these uh, these feelings of familiarity with the problem or past thoughts about the problem start lighting up when you um, you know you might experience the craving for the cigarette, but then there's this whole this whole like backlog of I've experienced this craving before. It has a story. I'm the person with this craving, and this whole like this whole you know play around like this whole storyline around this sensation comes online with it rather than it just being the the individual sense of the of the craving in that moment that it goes away but there's all this whole other you know story of how however long you tried to quit more or that, all that comes up at the same time just mm-hmm. it's insane how fast it comes <laughs> yeah it's really immediate i noticed that when you're describing it and i feel like that's so much of what makes it really hard to let go of the self-hatred is that whole story because i almost imagine if you if the sensation of desiring smoking was swapped for a split second with the same intensity of desiring a unicorn you know you would see how crazy it was but because it's like this ongoing familiar thing i I don't know i i i I want a i want a unicorn Do they come in packs of 20? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I do think that, yeah, this, there's something about the, fami- the familiarity of it kind of hooks people uh, where if it was just something brand new and so absurd, you know, you'd look at it probably different, but it kind of sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I should probably, uh, it's getting late where I am. I got to head off to bed. But uh, really, really nice chat. Oh, really thank you so much. This you. has been a really great conversation. We'll we'll see you later. Robert, yeah. do you have anything else that you want to talk about or shall we finish too? Um, I think this is a good time to end. I think the questions I have will require uh, quite a long time to answer, probably. Okay, well, we'll do something later then. So let's, let's get this one because this is a big issue for you, this, this yeah. self-patriot. Yeah. You hate yourself. When you could be loving yourself, you could accept yourself. You're all right already. You're already enlightened. You don't need anything. Just sit down and relax. You're already there. No more progress to be made. You've already arrived at your holy site. Relax. I'm going to re-listen to this and uh, experiment with um, the, the methods that we've discussed here, and I'll I'll let you know how it's how it's gone in a couple of days. I'll let you know. Excellent. How Excellent. How it's worked and all right. how the stuff progressed and all that. Yes, go play with this. Have fun with it. And we'll talk later about it. Thank you. You have a great day, too. All the best. You, too. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Much love. Bye-bye.